Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Her Moment in History. I'm Grace. I'm Michelle. And so this week it is filmmakers. Yes. So people some way who have like directed, produced, written, kind of anything in the production of film. Because there's a project that I was I was recently involved with uh, called Directed by Women, which like every day of this year they're trying to make a new blog post for a different film that's made that's directed by women in the twen in the twenty first century. Oh, I didn't realize it had to be in the twenty first century. Yeah, I mean we don't fit that bill, but Whoa. it's fine. No, oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. September is like the unofficial month of it has a proper name but I forgot it it's like celebration of film and they're kind of directed by women is incorporating like celebrating film female filmmakers in that too so we are kind of joining because <laughs> this should be out in September <laughs> yeah in a bit of just adding one in kind of fitting the, the theme yeah. Okay, so are you going first this week? Yeah. So you go first this week. So who is your woman this week? My woman this week is Jane Campion. I knew it was going to be her. I know, you, you know who she is, right? <laughs> I know. I was literally looking through a list of like uh, women who'd like, been kind of involved in filmmaking and I was like, well, I just know that Michelle's going to do Jane Campion, so I'll just avoid her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she's such a great woman, though. Okay, so she's actually a dame. She's Dame Elizabeth oh. Jane Campion. Mm-hmm. But she's like a dame in New Zealand terms. So, you know, not a real dame from the Queen. Ah, uh, I was going to say, because I didn't think you could be a dame unless you were British. Yeah. I mean, did we own New Zealand once? Is that just Australia? Did, uh, no, I think New Zealand as well, probably, at some point. I think there's only like nine countries England haven't owned, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. We're, we Our history isn't great. We own like yeah most of the world. I mean, mildly impressive, but still horrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she was born on the 30th of April, 1954... Mm-hmm. And it says she was born in Waikanae in New Zealand, but it also says she was born in Wellington, New Zealand. I, I yeah, because Wellington's the state, is that right? Wellington's the capital. The capital. Oh, is it? So I assume it's like around there. Yeah, and it's easier to say, so I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she is a director, screenwriter and producer. She mm-hmm. is of the five women who've ever been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director. She was the mm-hmm. second of them. And she is the first and so far only female filmmaker who has won the Palm Door. Oh, okay. Which... Oh. Now, explain what the Palm Door is, because like I didn't know before you explained it to me. I mean, the majority of my film class didn't know what a palm door is, so <laughs> I will let you off. <laughs> like, film students should know, but it's from the Cannes Film Festival. It's, like, the top prize from that festival. Mm-hmm. 
It's very prestigious. <laughs> is the is the the Cannes Film Festival like one of the biggest film festivals? Or I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, as I know, it's quite kind of important, but I didn't really know how important. Yeah, it's pretty big. So she was the second daughter of Edith Campion. Or, well, she was mm-hmm. before that. Beverly Georgette Hannah was her name. Okay. And she was an actress, a writer, and an heiress. Whoa. Mm. And then her dad, Richard Campion, was a theatre and opera director. Very creative roots then. Mm-hmm. And her maternal great-grandfather, Robert Hanna, was a, a shoe manufacturer from Antrim House, which it has a mm-hmm. Wikipedia link, so I think it's a big deal. Okay. <laughs> did you follow the Wikipedia link? I did, but it didn't seem to quite follow up because it was on about somewhere in England. And this oh, is in New Zealand. Mistake, so, yeah. I don't know. Somehow, someone will know. Okay. Her father was from a family of exclusive brethren, which it's a subset of Christian evan- evangelical movement. Okay, cool. It's just Christians then, cool. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it wasn't relevant, but it just. I thought it was an interesting fact. Because I'd never heard of it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But I don't like how it's called Exclusive Brethren. That's a terrible name. Yeah, you should take it up with them. You should complain. I mean, because it should be inclusive everybody. Instead of being gendered. Mm, You would think so, but I mean... Most of religion is, isn't it? Or at least most of, like... The Western religion. That's true. Yeah. So she had two siblings, uh, an older sister Anna, and then a younger brother called Michael. And so they mm-hmm. all kind of grew up in the world of New Zealand theatre because the parents were involved in it. And their parents founded the New Zealand Players Theatre Group. Which I think is okay. Sounds big, but I say if it's got like a proper like name that was noted, then it's probably quite a a big deal. Mm. So she originally set out to want she wanted a career that wasn't in theatre or acting. So she got a degree in anthropology from Victoria University of Wellington in nineteen seventy five. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's incredibly lucky at the schools that she's gone to. I'm very jealous. And so, in 1976, she... It says she attended the Chelsea Art School in London, who I know someone who goes there at the minute, which I just thought was fun. But she didn't graduate from there or get anything from there. Okay. So, it just says she attended, and I don't know, it's in London. England representation, because there's not enough of that. <laughs> but then she she graduated with a graduate diploma in visual arts, so painting, mm-hmm. from the Sydney College of Arts at the University of Sydney in 1981. Mm-hmm. And based on like her art school education, she cited 
uh, Frida Kahlo and the sculptor Joseph Beuys as major influences on her art. Whoa. But then she got dissatisfied with the limits of painting as a medium, so she turned to film. Cool. <laughs> and she made her first film called Tissues in 1980. Which I, okay. sounds like it's a great name for a film. <laughs> and so in 1981, she started studying at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, where she went on, to, she made a bunch of short films there and she graduated in 1984 okay so she has like three degrees kind of yeah <laughs> i mean lucky she's been like but i mean I, a whole decade i feel like in there education. was a lot of kind of like not just luck i think probably like she worked for it and paid yeah. for it so i mean yeah but i want to spend 10 years getting a multiple degrees I know, same. So her short film Peel from 1982 won mm-hmm. the short film Palm Door. The... Oh, there's a separate one? Yes, for short films. Okay. Uh, I did assume from the title. <laughs> and that was in 1986. Uh, she had other shorts that won some awards as well called Passionless Moments. A Girl's Own Story and After Hours. Okay. Which were all from my early 80s. And so when she left the film and TV school, she went and directed an episode of ABC's light entertainment series Dancing Days. Okay. Which I've never heard of, but it might be a big deal to people from the 80s. Yeah. Which then got her, her first TV film which was Two Friends, is that what okay. it's called? Um, and then this led to a first feature film called Sweetie from, in 1989, which, if I remember rightly, Nicole, a young Nicole Kidman was meant to be in that film, but she, oh, it, wouldn't, it didn't work with her timings, mm-hmm. so they did work together later on, because they're both from, like, Australia, New Zealand way. So they knew each other early in life. Ish. <laughs> old, old, old friends. Mm-hmm. And so Sweetie won some international awards. It doesn't say which ones. And then <laughs> <laughs> she made An Angel at My Table, which I have seen and I think is incredible. And mm-hmm. it was meant to be a TV film, but it was so dramatic and well done that it just got uh, widely released Whoa. everywhere, which I've never heard that happening before. I was going to say, that's, like, usually there, it's in, like, production, it's decided where they're going to be. Yeah. Kind of released. And it, it's sort of made and altered to shape that mould, but she was just so good. And the, the film is a biography and a psychological portrayal of the New Zealand writer Janet Frame. Okay. Um, I haven't heard of her. I think you will love it because at the end she ends up living in a caravan. Oh, ideal. Exactly. You'll love it. <laughs> um, and she's got... I think she... It's never quite explained what mental health issue she has, but she's misdiagnosed with schizophrenia. 
Okay. I think she, like, has anxiety or something along okay. the lines. Because, like, some of the symptoms of schizophrenia, you'd think that... I, I don't really know how many brackets they fall under, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because it's, it's quite a unique kind of disorder. Yeah. I think it was just at a time that was not much mental health was known and a small town in New Zealand is where it's set so yeah I like how you say it, in a time when not much about mental health was known like that's basically any time <laughs> leading up to I'd say before the turn of the yeah the 21st century and even then we're still not great on it but yeah it's definitely worth watching it's mildly intimidating because it's like three hours long but oh my god I watched it in parts so like I just okay. watched like an hour a day or something and it was okay. It was nice and digestible like that. I say long films. I have to be like really into them to yeah, same. To yeah, commit to them because because like Gone with the Wind than two hours is great, but it's a four hour long film. Oh. I know because I had a friend who was like, "Oh, you should watch it like Dancers with Wolves." <laughs> three hours. And that's like a, a three hour long <laughs> film, and I was like, "I I'll give it a go, but I just don't have the stamina." I can't do that. No, it's so long. Yeah. Ugh. So then, after this, she made The Piano, which is my fave. I love I love it. I was going to say, that little known film. <laughs> which is, the, the music in that is there. If you ever hear me play the piano, it will you will hear me play that music. It, it's just a given. So many times. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I just know every time we'd like go to a piano room you'd just be like let me just try let me just try it's like we know you can do it <laughs> and every stately home you'd be like oh there's a piano I'll just I just have to play some of it <laughs> it's just in my head all the time just on a loop yeah literally um, so she won the palm d'or for this film piano mm-hmm. and she won the best best director award from the Australian Film Institute okay and she won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay as well. Nice. Mm. And again, she was nominated for Best Director for this film, mm-hmm. but she didn't win. Sadly. Only, you know, only one female has ever won Best Director. Who's that? Or uh, do you know? Catherine Bigelow with The Hurt Locker. Ah, uh, yeah. And I'm just like, I've never seen that. And, Because mm, it's about, is, isn't it about the war? I think so, but I don't know, so. Yeah, I'm not going to comment because I haven't seen it. But, uh, so, in the piano, she, there's a large cast of Ma- 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 Maori actors. Maori. Maori. Maori, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I actually watched it last night at the piano. Just rewatched it because mm-hmm. why not? And so, few of the scenes aren't the best in terms of representation, but others are right. very, very well done, considering it was like early nineties. And she did say that there were some issues when they were filming, because some of the Maori, they didn't speak their native language and they, they felt, like, kind of ashamed about it, which is very sad. Oh. But they 
they did find because in the original script they had is it pidgin english yeah that was written for them and they found that offensive so yeah they then cut that out of the script and worked with them to find something that would work for everybody I mean, that's good, because you do find quite a lot that are like, you, you're going to speak in this way. Yeah. It's like, you can't tell people that they're, yeah, they're going to speak in a certain way simply because of the stereotype. Yeah. So they did work together, and she got, like, Maori film directors and advisors to work with her, so everyone, everything was treated well-ish, <laughs> which is pretty impressive for early 90s, I think. Yeah. Mm. Or just any time, because just... We live in it's an like awful even place. now, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when she was making this film and editing it, she was pregnant with her mm-hmm. first child, and she actually... She flew out to Cannes in May of 1993 to the premiere, right. and she, she wasn't able to stay until the end of the festival because then she would have been too pregnant to then fly back to Australia and New Zealand, uh, where she was living. So she couldn't actually pick up her palm door. Oh, my God. That's like, I, in terms of, like, filmmaking, that would be, like, the height of your career. Mm-hmm. But when she was back, she was back in Sydney, and she found out she'd won, but then she also found out that her baby was very ill, and okay. it was... It was born, but then uh, he he was called Jasper, and he died eleven days after. Wow, I didn't know that he died. Yeah. And she she said that like it should have been one of the best times of her life, but it was one of the worst. And the worst, yeah. And she's like to quote her, she said, "I really didn't enjoy any of the success, and it it almost felt like at the cost of." How awful. I know. It's very sad. Mm. So after this film, a few few years later, she made The Portrait of a Lady, um, Mm. which of the Henry James novel. Oh, the... Yeah, yeah. Which starred Nicole Kidman, John Malkovich, Barbara Hershey and Martin Donovan. Okay. I know the first two, I don't know the second two, but they... The second two seem like they're famous, so I'm just going to say them. Like, I know who they are. Okay. Yeah, um, same confidence. Mm-hmm. So, I forgot to mention this, but a lot of her films are... They focus on the ma- the female perspective. Oh, cool. Which, especially with the piano as well, because she is mute in that. Mm-hmm. And so, all these people are calling it dumb and deaf and... She uses sign language, actually, which I think you'd like. Thank you very much. <laughs> just any, any mention of sign language, just like, oh. I'm like, Grace will like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of her films tend to focus on the female perspective rather than mm-hmm. the much, much overused male perspective. <laughs> I'd say it's quite, it'd be quite refreshing as well. I can imagine it being met with both fantastically positive reviews but also there's such a risk that you could see that people just wouldn't buy Mm -hmm. into that you know what I mean yeah 
when I rewatched it yesterday, I never, I haven't rewatched it since I first watched it, and I okay. got so much more out of it as well, just because yeah. I thought, you know what's going to happen, and just all the little things, the little, this, like, slight indiscrepancies that I thought were just, like, continuity errors, but no, they're intentional, because they, they're, oh, they mean something, because it's, like, this bit where she, because at the start it says that she's been mute since she was six years old and she doesn't know why. Mm-hmm. But then she has this story with her child about how her dad died. And it's like they're both singing in the woods. And and then there's a, a great accident or something and the dad dies. And then she's mute from after that. Oh, okay. So... Which made me think that she was maybe raped and she's just not sick. Because the whole film is sort of about what is not said is what's happening. Okay. And it it works really well. And it only clicked for me yesterday that that was... That was, that was what it was. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Because <laughs> I read the script because we did a script writing course and... Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, literally pages apart. Um, so you're like, do you think they noticed because it's so close together? And I realised I've been talking for 20 minutes and I really didn't think I had. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You can carry on. So she, she did make some films with quite big names. She made Holy Smoke in 99 mm-hmm. with Harvey Keitel, who's in the piano, and also Kate Winslet was the female lead. Cool. And another film called In the Cut, which is an erotic thriller based on Susanna Moore's bestseller novel, which has Meg Ryan in it, but without her playing like the usual rom-com type role she usually plays. And then another favourite of mine is Bright Star from 2009, which is, it's a biography about Keats, but it's told from the perspective of his lover, Fanny Braun. (gasps) Oh, it's very good. I really like it. Which I said that sounds very good. Mhm. And it was showed at the Cannes Film Festival in two thousand and nine. Mhm. And what she's, I think she's more known for this now rather than the piano. But do you know the series Top of the Lake? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She created, wrote, and directed it. I didn't know that. I think it was co-written and directed, but she was a big part of it. And her daughter is the oh, star. That's, I said that, explain why Alice Engler is in it, yeah. Because yeah. she was also in a short film that Jane Campion did called... I'm going to get embarrassed myself here. I think it's called The Water Diaries or something like that. Oh, I don't know that one. And uh, Alice Engler is in that as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, sorry. And this was... Have you seen the series? I've seen some of it, yeah. I haven't seen it. I kind of want to. It's good. It's won lots of awards, all for like the... Yeah. A lot of them were for Elizabeth... Moss. Moss yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some are for like directing as well. Mm-hmm. And so the, the show f- um, focuses on, I think, I haven't seen it, but it deals with like... The character's raped and she's she gave the baby away for adoption and she's searching for the lost child. And it sort of talks about, like, this 
stories of surrogacy, miscarriage and loss in it and Jane Campion said that it's like a whole area of female experience that's completely unknown and it's yeah in in cinema especially and it, it's like the equivalent of going to war except no one makes movies about it is what she said <laughs> that's a very good point mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like uh you know that obviously because i watched with you you know fleabag series mm-hmm. there's that whole kind of line uh kind of bit in that isn't there where they're talking about that basically the female experience is pain yeah because of the things that kind of you go through and, and things like that and that men's equivalent they have created i mean from like mm-hmm. war and it's like but that's being written about but the everyday kind of struggles that go on for women just kind of aren't spoken about for some reason because you have to I don't know, it's almost like there's this universally British way of looking at it of the, you know, stiff upper lip and trying to just Mm -hmm. get on with things. Yeah. But during... Uh, So, Xavier Dolan, he won the Prix de Jury for his film Mommy. Mm -hmm. He, He did... Oh, what's it called? It's like, I... Something like, I kill, killed my mother, is what it's called. I think I've told you yeah. about it. It's a good film. And Mommy as yeah. well. And so when he, he won this award for it, he, in his speech, he said that uh, Jane Campion's piano was... It made him want to write for roles for women. And he said, beautiful women with soul, with will and strength, not victims or objects. Cool. And so... I like it. And when when he said this, she got up and from her seat and gave him a hug. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Aww. So, so in twenty seventeen, her the second I think it's the second season of Top of the Lake came out and it yeah. was shown it can, and mm-hmm. this also was the seventieth anniversary of the festival, so they got all of the Palm Door winners on stage. Whoa. And. She was the only woman. Shocker. And so she said that she'd never really thought about the numbers of like men and women who'd won. And mm-hmm. she hadn't really like properly taken it in. And so like all these men just kept walking on stage and more men and more men and more men. And she was just like, what on earth is going on? Like if I yeah. wasn't here, this wouldn't be an issue. But it's because I am here that this is an issue. It's like the elephant in the room. Yeah, you yeah. notice it when there's a, a difference it'd be, it'd be quite nice for her i guess though because that's kind of she wasn't able to celebrate her win that's when true. she actually won it if you know what i mean yeah so by kind of having that done again it's almost like she was actually now able to enjoy but, and acknowledge that she had won but then i guess she didn't because she was just stood there with like 60 plus oh, other men, men. <laughs> yeah oh. well if it was the 17th anniversary it would have been 69 men that's true. I mean, I mean yeah. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if they all survived. Yeah. So I'm guessing That's someone missing. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So what she's now doing is it's not, I think there's not a title for it yet, but she's planning on, or it's like set in the works to make a film that has a male lead, which she's never done before. And she commented that it's because at last that she feels like she can. 
because there are a lot more female-based centered stories and so she doesn't have to so be like, the one providing there's no pressure it. yeah yeah and that i mean yeah yeah it's good that she doesn't feel like there's a pressure anymore to kind of to to make these diverse roles simply because they're not being made it's a bit a bit weird though because obviously like she's good at it so yeah yeah i guess if you always keep challenging yourself you'll just improve yeah yeah but that was jane campion brilliant i really didn't think i'd be talking for that long but then i just got really caught <laughs> up in it <laughs> i mean i think like what 10 minutes of that was just talking about the piano and you know what it was fine but, it was, <laughs> um, but yeah i didn't know a lot of that as well which is mm. quite good me neither so, well done hmm? Um, I think we should have a much deserved ad break now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we'll be back afterwards. Yeah. Okay, I'll see you in a bit. Yep. Hello, welcome back. Now it's it's your turn. <laughs> it's my turn. So I got quite actually quite panicked about who I was going to do because I don't know much about filmmaking or mm-hmm. directing or producing or any of that. And then I was I ended up on so many websites of like the most famous kind of women directors and producers and things of mm-hmm. history. And I was doing so many names, they'd all done absolutely fantastic things. But I was like, actually, I'm just going to do somebody who has made a film that I watched and really liked. Fair so enough. I'm going to do Gorinda Chadha. Gorinda Chadha, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, I thought, who, who better? So, and they, it's weird because Jane Campion and, and uh, Gorinda Chadha are kind of making films around the same time as well. So yeah. there's a bit, might be a bit of crossover. Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1960 in Nairobi in Kenya and during that time Kenya was part of the British colony yeah so yet another country that uh, Britain owned at one point mm-hmm. and her family were kind of it said that they were part of the Indian diaspora I think that's how it's pronounced um, uh, yeah. to West Africa uh, East Africa so I didn't realize it was such a massive migration so but then it, when she was two her family then moved again to west london mm-hmm. so she kind of had a lot of different kind of identities within yeah. that, mean like national identities so her father oh go on. no i was gonna say because in my transnational cinema class we did a week mm-hmm. on on her you did yeah oh you're gonna be such you're gonna be so much more of an expert about <laughs> her than i am that's annoying no, um, so I feel like I, I might be able to like add in some little bits, but also I say you probably know yeah. a bit more because it was very much swept over. Yeah, because I remember because uh, for my twentieth century literature class, we actually studied one of her films. Oh, it was like a barge on the beach. Oh yeah, yeah. So we did like a little bit then about her as well. Maybe mm-hmm. York St John University just absolutely adores her. Maybe and. <laughs> And so, but there wasn't, we didn't really talk about her very much. We spoke mm-hmm. about kind of the Channel 4 and things like that. So, um, so her father faced a lot of prejudice because of his appearance as a Sikh man. So, because mm-hmm. he wore a turban and he had a beard. So there was kind of a lot that people had to kind of make fun of, I guess. So she saw herself as both Indian and also English. Mm-hmm which I assume kind of links to, like, transnational cinema. Yep. And obviously was present in quite a lot of her films, like mm-hmm. the, this duality of identity. 
So mm-hmm. she, because she wasn't quite sure, I guess, which identity she kind of wanted to adopt, she wouldn't wear traditional Indian clothing and mm-hmm. she refused to cook for her family, which were both kind of obviously parts of like the Indian yeah. tradition. And so she thought that women being in the kitchen cooking and the men sitting and eating was really oppressive. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she just like rejected it, even though it's like a, an important part of Indian culture. Mm-hmm. So she would sit with the men and be kind of, you know, joining their discussions and apparently she was very outspoken as well when she was like mm-hmm. talking with them. So she graduated from the University of East Anglia. And then it, it said she also went to London College of Printing when she was 25. And I I don't know, again, I'm not sure whether she graduated from there. Mm-hmm. It just said that she attended. And then she was on the radio, kind of like the same time, and then moved mm-hmm. to television as a BBC news reporter. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. No, neither did I. And then started directing documentaries. Uh, Mm -hmm. initially for the British Film Institute, the BBC and for Channel 4. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in 1989 she made a documentary for Channel 4 and I think this was either her first documentary or it was her most notable one Mm -hmm. which was called I'm British But and it followed the lives of British Asians. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. Then in 1990 she set a production company Mm-hmm. Uh, that was called Umbi Films or Umbai Films. I don't know which one. Like, just setting up a production company. Impressive. That's, yeah, how... First of all, kind of, what does that entail? And, like, second of all, how do you just decide you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to set up my own production company? And Yeah, a lot of directors do actually do that, but... I don't know. Usually it's when they've got a notable name. Yeah. But... I was thinking it wasn't in her name. Like, the company wasn't. So, yeah. And the first film that kind of, I think, that she created for Mm -hmm. her production company was called Nice Arrangement, and it was a short film about a British-Asian wedding. And then Mm. that short film was selected for the Cannes Film Festival in 1991. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so she, it, so on her kind of like Wikipedia page, it said about uh, different films that kind of influenced her. So mm-hmm. she said that she really liked family films, like It's a Wonderful Life. But mm-hmm. one of the main kind of films that had inspired her writing was a film called, and I apologise for the pronunciation of this, so I think it's called Prab A Pashim, which mm-hmm. uh, in English translates to East and West. And it's an Indian classic that influenced her. And it was mm-hmm. a film, I, di- I looked into it a little bit, it's a film about freeing India from British rule and an idea of Indian pride. And it was all filmed oh. in London. So it also kind of showed the English identity. Oh, okay. So you can kind of see that there's a lot of... Was it called East is East or just... You know, it's called East and West. Oh, East East is East is a very different film. <laughs> okay. But also a good film. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, her first full-length film was then Barge on the Beach, mm-hmm. which was BAFTA nominated and won the Evening Standard British Film Award. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the first full-length film to be made by a British Asian woman. Oh, well. Yeah, which that I is thought... tragic. I th- it is. And I was like, there had to be one before that. But yeah, I guess, I don't know, up until that point, I guess people weren't really bothered about films, you know, yeah. created by minority groups. Mm. So, uh, have you seen Barge on the Beach then? I haven't, but I know a little okay. bit about it. Not much. Because I wrote down like a little bit of a uh, what's it called? A preface about it. Mm-hmm. Is it a preface or a, like a blurb. Anyway, and it's it follows a group of Indian English women from different generations, and they all go on a trip to the beach for the day, mm-hmm. um, just like their local seaside. And the film kind of shows. Uh, different prejudices in it from both communities so you obviously mm-hmm. have white people in the film who you know the film would show them being racist um against mm-hmm. the indian community but you also kind of have like the younger indian community who are experiencing prejudice from the older people in the community mm-hmm. and then it was about how both communities kind of have the different sense of identity can kind of blur together you know mm-hmm. so but there's a really notable scene where there's a girl and she's wearing traditional Indian kind of dress mm-hmm. and then she wears a leather jacket over the top. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's those two kind of parts of yeah. the identity mixed together. Transnational. Uh, and it was... Yes, transnational. <laughs> uh, it's almost as though the word was there. <laughs> so it was a, a great film that was released at the time when the idea of the British identity was kind of being questioned because mm-hmm. I think up until kind of th- at that point people weren't kind of sure what being British meant mm-hmm. because beforehand whenever you'd ask someone what being British meant they would have replied it was an idea of whiteness yeah. and obviously being British isn't whiteness and so it was like mm-hmm. the first well one of the first times this was being questioned especially in film I guess yeah didn't it come out around 2002 no it was earlier uh, than yeah. that it was 90... This is really bad. I think it was 94. It's so sad that, like, the Sony... That was so recent. I know. It's... It... Yeah. So other films that she made were, like, Bride and Prejudice and Bend It Like Beckham, which mm-hmm. is probably, I think, her most famous film. Yeah. I'm not actually yeah. sure if... It's just a well-known film in the UK. Really? Yeah. Because everyone seems to have a very... Like, in my class when we talked about it, everyone had a very similar experience of, like, it would get put on at school when we were meant to be doing something else and that got cancelled and they just put this film on. When that happened to me, all they used to put on was Step Up. It was... Really? <laughs> yeah, we didn't watch uh, Bend It Like Beckham at school. Oh, you're like one of the only few people who haven't, because <laughs> like in the, in the class everyone was like, yeah, we just watched it at school, and like all the like male, people were like, no, I'm not gonna watch it. I just, oh, that's right, minor rant. It irritates me so much how like, media with female main characters or that's written by a woman or that's like you know focused on kind of like the 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 women's experience are seen as Mm -hmm. purely like female films that cannot be watched by men it's like how long have we like have 
male-dominated films been made for the wider audience, and exactly. like women just been watching them, and now it. Oh, it's like saying it just, that uh, war films are just for men. Yeah, but like they're just, not. just yeah, it's like you wouldn't say that only war veterans watched war films. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's ridiculous. You wouldn't say that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's only ridiculous. cowboys watch westerns. Right? And it's not true. You can watch any film. It's actually better if you watch films about people who you are not. Yeah, because you get so, wider horizons. Thank you. Yes. So, it's just... Yeah, okay. Rant over. I mean, so if you're one of these book, people, but... go out and watch these films, please. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Watch the most of the films that we mentioned today. Go watch them. Yep. So, and another kind of one of her notable films, which I didn't realise that she'd made. I can't remember how much she did for it, but I think she wrote it. Mm -hmm. Was um, Angus Thugs a Perfect Snogging? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, um... She's, like, a major on, like, naughty British film for teens. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, I feel any anybody who's kind of like our age, yeah. you're like, the, the, the films you watched as a kid, or like, mm-hmm. when you were going through that teenage phase, were probably her films. Yeah. She also directed a mini-series, I think that's what you call it, where it's like mm-hmm. two parts for the BBC that was called uh, Rich Deceiver, and that was watched by 11 million people. Whoa. Yeah. And then she had a film which is called What's Cooking?, which came first with Billy Elliot in 2000 for the New York Critics Award. Wow. And then she alone won the Best Director. Wow. Good for her. So proud. I know. My point is. So Bend It Like Beckham was the highest grossing British finance and British distributed film. Try and say that ten times over. Um, (laughs) In the UK, uh, box office. And now I think it's only ever been beaten by Slumdog Millionaire. Interesting. Yeah. That it would be them Which, two films. Right? Because I was like, maybe I've misread it. Maybe it's more specific and they're about kind of... Because obviously Slumdog Millionaire is also kind of a an Asian... Um, but made by a white... Set film. British man. Was it? Yeah, Danny Boyle. I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, that's why I so, don't like it yeah. that much. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. That one I did watch at school. Oh really? They put it on a, a, in a in a philosophy class once, and we were just there like, I don't think this is appropriate, but we watched it anyway. <laughs> the authors made it. They also we watched the Sylvia Plath biography. They they just really weren't kind of sparing Whoa. the details there. So, Bennett Beckham it also won a nomination for a Golden Globe, a BAFTA, European Film Academy Award, and Writers Guild of America Award, Whoa. and even. Tony Blair, who was the Prime Minister at the time, said that he loved the film. He said, <laughs> we loved it, loved it, because this is my Britain. Wow. Think you really meant that? <laughs> I feel... Mm, I feel you, you wouldn't say... There would be ways to skirt around it if you if you didn't like it, if you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, that's true. Whereas that... He, he genuinely like means that that's kind of the Britain that he... Mm. You see when you walk out the door, if you know what I mean. It's not like a yeah. idealized television one. So the film was. She said it was meant. To, the film was meant to be a girl power film, mm-hmm. which also addressed deeper issues of prejudice against race and sexuality, mm-hmm. and kind of 
it's been received as a chick flick. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Like, that was yeah. literally the reaction when people, when we were studying it at, at uni. Yeah. They're like, this is a chick flick, why is it in a film class? And at first I thought the same thing, and then, like, we got into it, and about how it really goes into, like, transnational identities. Mm-hmm. And that she's trying to, like, be this life as a footballer, which is a big part of yeah. English culture, as well as Indian because we bought mm-hmm. it there and like her family getting married and all the stuff obligations and stuff like that but yeah it's yeah it's actually a really good film that i did not give enough credit for the first time i watched it <laughs> i mean because i didn't watch it until like quite late and i i, I will admit how you watched rewatched the piano yesterday <laughs> i didn't rewatch bend it like becca <laughs> this morning but yeah it is it's i mean it's very much of its time in terms of like certain yeah. things that are going on but it's it's still like I'd say a classic if you know what I mean like a naughty's classic film mm-hmm, in terms definitely. of those issues and I didn't kind of I didn't realise I thought it was kind of one of those things that people were like you know how people were like oh it's a uh, was oh, there's obviously like a, a queer subtext to it but the mm-hmm. reason that that is is because originally it was written uh, it was as a queer film yeah oh and God. then because they thought that it wouldn't um, make any money if it was a oh queer film God. because they, they were like no one's going to go watch it if it's a queer film other than queer people which again Ugh. go watch all films I feel like uh, marketing so people leave. just need to be hit round the head with like <laughs> anyone will watch anything just go away well it is true I mean I was talking recently to a friend of mine about basically who should have more of a role in the making of a film is it the mm-hmm. screenwriter or the director and it was kind of this mm. discussion we were having and there was kind of the issue of wasn't it a pretty woman was one mm-hmm. where it was originally meant to be more of a, a dramatic film about uh, the issues surrounding sex workers mm-hmm. and that they face and everything like that and then obviously the pretty woman that actually got made and that we all know was this kind of one that defined the the chick flick genre yeah you know romantic comedy kind of film mm-hmm. and, and things like that and my friend said apparently she'd watched an interview with somebody who'd said that when you you're a writer you make one film for yourself and one film for everybody else do you know who that was who said that to you was it james cameron oh my mm-hmm. which friend said it no, it was Rob Edgar. He said it in our script writing class. I was, it was a friend of mine at work. Oh, well, he also said it. <laughs> and it yeah, and then, but I I must have just not written it down at that point. But yeah, but yeah, that, so it's, I guess, marketing teams kind of know what they're doing to make money, but a lot of the time it's... Yeah, it's, like, my major issue with blockbusters is that they try and fulfil the needs of everyone, but by doing that, no one is satisfied. You say that, a lot of people are. I mean, like, blockbuster films that succeed manage to do that a bit, but there's a lot of blockbusters that just completely flopped, and because yeah. they were trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's... Mm. I always find it empty. Oh. <laughs> Blimey, okay. Um, so that was Bent Like Beckham. The mm-hmm. other film, kind of one of her most famous films, was called Bride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. uh, which was an Indian adaptation of 
obviously the Austen book. Mm-hmm. And it was made to kind of join Hollywood and the like, Indian film together. Bollywood. Not Bollywood, though. Oh. Not Bollywood, because apparently the songs were too kind of like Western to ah, have okay. been considered Bollywood. So it apparently was like more like Greece than it was Bollywood. Oh, okay. So, but that's kind of what it was. Um, and then, so in 2007, she married a screenwriter called Paul Mayen de Berg. Bergs, I think it is, or Burgers, mm. <laughs> Burgers, uh, and they have two twins, oh. Ronick and Camus. I think I did you say Wallach? Her kid's name, Ronak. Ronak, okay, it's better than Wallach. <laughs> and Kamija, or is it Kamiko? I think I might have mistyped the name. Okay. And so, when asked about her religion as well, she said that she kind of is and isn't religious mm-hmm. so she does believe in something but that something is neither like Sikhism or Christianity fair enough so she believes in fate and the idea of what goes around comes around and that if you put good things into the universe good things will happen so that's nice. kind of yeah just a nice peaceful kind of the way religion kind of should work she, she also she has an OBE Oh, wow. Well. But there was no information as to when she received it. Oh. So, but it just, she has an OBE by her name. Hmm. And so currently her TV series Beecham House is airing. Is it? I haven't yeah. heard anything uh, about that. What? My entire family have been talking about it. Is it good? Have you been watching it? I have watched some of it. I I have watched some of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very slight. It's, it's very different kind of uh, period drama than usual. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm, you know, shamefully, I love all period dramas and can get a bit obsessed with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a very weird because it's set in India. Oh. And it's very, it's like an Indian period drama, but the main character is a white man, which is one of the reasons I was a bit like, hmm, okay. Mm. But I might give it another go mm-hmm. now that I know kind of that she's made it. And I'll be like, okay, that fills me with a bit of confidence that it won't just be about him yeah and her film blinded by the light will be coming out soon as well have you seen anything Mm. about that i haven't what have you been to the cinema recently uh no honestly no (laughs) oh okay Um, it's been advertised all the time is it wait is that about someone specifically it's about a guy who is influenced by bruce springsteen's music Oh, yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good with names. I'm just good with content. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's about, yeah, he's an Indian lad, well, Indian-British lad, and he uh, obviously starts listening to Bruce Bruce Springsteen's music. And I got really excited when I realised it was her. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because I got excited. We were in the cinema, and it came up, and I was like, yeah, it's just like a a pretty good film. And then it came up with that, you know, she directed Mm -hmm. it. And I was like, like, we have to go see it. And I was like, okay, calm down. But, um, yeah, so I'm really excited for that as well. Mm, that must come out soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know when, though, but mm. soon, I know. Mm. But, yeah. And then that is... Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's yeah. Yeah. I'm done. It's weird, because they're both still alive. I know. And there was only... Like, they're still making films, and... There's kind of an overlap as to time. It's a bit weird. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. We might be able to find a picture of them together. 
I really hope so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's only that happened like... once so far. Yeah. <laughs> Which was the first <laughs> the first, first week episode. as well. Well, wait, that oh, no. mean this is the last episode? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Unless there's something you're not telling me. No. No. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I hope we do, but I I don't know if their kind of circles will overlap. You'd hope so. They're both female directors. Yeah, yeah. And mm. they've both been to Cannes. As I say, they both have their films there, haven't they? So mm-hmm. we should do. But yeah, that's good. And I feel yeah, because they both wanted someone I had heard of, but also hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I, I was, a, yeah, there was quite a bit of stuff I didn't know about her, so it was good. Ah, I'm glad. Yes, yeah, so I learned a lot as well. Mm-hmm. I think that was like the first time that I kind of had a basic understanding about both the people, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Because usually I don't know anything about the other person whatsoever. Yeah, so it, was, it was quite weird that I, I kind of knew mm-hmm. bits. But yeah. Yeah. Fun episode. Fun episode, yes. And long episode. Yes. Oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so there yeah, is I feel no like tears this week. No, that wasn't. Because <laughs> they're both quite quite happy stories actually. Yeah, for a change. Both, yeah, fantastic women, both succeeding mm-hmm. and being recognised for the success, which is actually quite rare, but really nice. Yeah. And we shall see you next week. Bid you adieu. Bid you adieu. Au revoir. Bye. <laughs> God, he's going to continue. Adios. <laughs> Farewell. That's for Dania. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. <laughs>